Welcome to Where You Are, a podcast that helps families and their children promote their mental health and wellness. We navigate important topics to meet you where you are in your journey. I'm Shar Black. And I'm Michelle Horn. And this podcast is brought to you by BC Children's Kelty Mental Health Resource Centre, a provincial source of information and resources for children, youth and families. So in today's episode, we'll be exploring the topic of mindfulness. Parents and their children are often curious about mindfulness and have questions about, will this benefit them and where can they start? Today, we'll be hearing from Dr. Zung Vo, but first up, we have Paul Irving. So Paul's currently studying business at BCIT, but before going back to school, he spent many years working with the health literacy team at BC Children's Hospital. He promoted mental health and wellness in high schools across the province. Paul began practicing mindfulness in 2012, and he considers the practice his most important tool for maintaining a space of personal wellness. So how would you define mindfulness in plain terms for our listeners? My definition of mindfulness, I think, has changed a bit. I don't think I had much of a deeper understanding than these are some breathing exercises that can help me. But as I started practicing more, it changed a little bit for me. And I think at this point, mindfulness to me is really just being present, being uh, focused on the things that are happening around you right here, right now, and to have an appreciation for the moment that's in front of me. As you know, we'll be talking with Dr. Uh, Zung Vo later, and he kind of talks about some pieces around compassion and gratitude as kind of components of mindfulness, in addition to this, um, the sense of being present that you just spoke about. Are those kind of pieces in your own definition of mindfulness at all? I definitely say they would be. I, I think especially when you're starting off practicing mindfulness, that idea of having compassion for yourself as you're learning is incredibly important. But the gratitude and compassion, and, and I've read Dr. Vo's definition as well in his book, and I think it's it's really spot on. And But for me, that those sort of flow from the presence. And I, I started noticing the more uh, I was present how many little things in my life that I was appreciative of or I was grateful for that I I just never really even noticed or paid attention to. And so that compassion um, for myself, but also the things that would happen in my life and other people made me, I think, a bit of a better listener as well, which I I think is another place where you see see that compassion and gratitude come from uh, come from practicing mindfulness. Great. Well, great side of side effects of <laughs> being present. I was pleasantly surprised, that's for sure. Can you tell us about your journey and how mindfulness played a role? So I was maybe 12 years old in grade seven, and I really started noticing changes in my mood. Um, but I had no idea why, and I had no idea how I could fix it or why it was happening. I thought maybe this was just part of puberty or growing up. I thought maybe being an adult was just terrible, and being a kid was lots of fun and easy. <laughs> it is, though. <laughs> it is. And these struggles with my mood happened all through high school, and I, I didn't understand it, so I, I didn't know how to communicate it. And the only thing I actually really did understand at the time um, was that I didn't want to communicate it with anybody. So So these, you know, looking back and reflecting on it now, spending, you know, six years or most of my high school and a little bit before that, uh, struggling with depression a lot, but sort of going on that journey alone and fighting it alone was incredibly challenging and, and confusing, I think, at any time in your life. But when you're a young person, it can be especially challenging. Um, So it wasn't until I was about to go away to university in grade 12 where I just had this panicked moment where I was driving, I don't even know where, with my mom in the car, and I just blurted all of it out. I think she asked me if I'm excited to go away to school, and I just was like, no, I'm really nervous. I don't know what to do. My sister says she's a couple years older than me, and so she she was a bit of a guiding light in, in maybe going through some of these things before me and me feeling comfortable blurting out in that moment. I think I give a lot of credit to her and how supportive she was. But 
nothing really productive happened. Um, I went away to university and I just continued to not take care of myself. Uh, and it got worse and worse until a point at the end of my first year uh, at university where I had to come home because I was I was uh, danger to myself. I wasn't safe. Um, it, it had gotten to a point where, where I needed to be taken care of. Um, so I finally took myself uh, out of university, came home and, and decided that something drastic needed to happen as far as looking for solutions to something that had been been troubling me really for about six or seven years at that point. I started to suffer from panic attacks um, and what I later found out to be acute panic disorder. And so these panic attacks are actually really what first brought me to mindfulness as I was told by a counselor that I was seeing at the time that maybe breathing exercises were going to be helpful. And, and, and it wasn't from a, a sense of you know, here's something wonderful and proactive that could be a really useful tool for you in the future. It was really out of necessity. Like I needed tangible breathing exercises to help me calm down when uh, I felt a panic attack coming on. Uh, so it wasn't taking three or four hours out of my day, just trying to get everything, you know, back on track. Since you started practicing mindfulness, how do you think it's changed over time? It's changed quite a bit. <laughs> I had torn my ACL playing rugby out in university. It was the next year and I went back. And so I had to come back for surgery and I had all this downtime and I had eight weeks and there was a local community center and I signed up for mindfulness. And to be honest, I didn't like it at all uh, for the first seven weeks of the eight week program. I just had so much trouble. And I think reflecting on my, my struggles with depression and anxiety is, is this idea of, of rumination that would go on in my mind. So a lot of getting lost in negative thoughts or, or worries or playing out scenarios that weren't never going to happen. But it, to me, it was very real. And, and so the idea of being told to sort of sit still and, and breathe and, and sort of let my mind wander and run, like it, it was really difficult for the first several weeks doing this. And I, I just wasn't seeing the benefits. And it wasn't until the last week where I really, and I remember this moment so well, I was, I had the, we were supposed to come up with a mindful moment we had that week and I had <laughs> every week and I didn't have one every single week until the last one. And I was getting out and this was a really windy day. And I think anyone um, who lives near the oceans ever experienced this it was a really windy day. And I was getting out my car at the end of the day to go home. And I got this huge gush of, uh, of wind and I got the smell of like evergreen trees and salt water. And I don't know why, but I just thought that, wow, that was so nice. And it was this little mindful moment that I'd finally had, you know, near the end of the program where I finally realized what it meant to just be present for three seconds. And I told that story when we went to the, to the course the next day, the last week, and I had a whole bunch of people come up to me after and say, wow, that was, that was really cool. Like, I, I, I want to see if, you know, I hope to have a similar moment in the future. And I think that's when it clicked that I needed to give this a little bit more space and a little bit more time, maybe just two, three, five minutes, 10 minute breathing exercises, four or five times a week, started doing some more reading and research myself. And it's really grown into something I think a lot different today than it was when I started. That's great. That's kind of my experience as well around kind of slowly getting into it and maybe trying to figure out what works for you and what, what doesn't really work for you. So you did touch on kind of these initial barriers um, when you first tried it. And since then, since you've been practicing for so many years, has there been any other kind of barriers or things you had to kind of overcome to include mindfulness as part of your life? Yeah. So I think it's been like learning a new instrument. It was challenging at the beginning. I sort of thought um, I was at a point where I, I was looking for really anything that was going to help my moods and my anxiety. So I was willing to try anything, but you don't see those benefits right away. But once you do have a handle on it, 
since I started practicing, I think the big difference for me has been finding time in my schedule. So like it's just as an instrument, it's tough to learn. I think you need to be continually practicing it. You take, you know, a couple of weeks off. Uh, it's not going to be the same when you pick it back up. And so everybody's busy, you know, go through different times in your life where you're more busy than others. And I think the biggest challenge today and for the last several years, because it's been, it's been, a, you know, I think four or five years that I've been practicing steadily is making sure that I'm still finding time in my day. Can you describe to me benefits of mindfulness for you? The things that I started noticing, you know, maybe six months into it, a year into it, and then it really started snowballing from there is how much of my day-to-day life I'd really been missing out on. I didn't realize how much of my time I was spending worrying and just mentally in a completely different other place. So I'd be commuting to school or work, or I would be completely zoned out in a meeting or at lunch, and I would just be lost in these thoughts or worries. And I think that idea of presence and why that that concept of presence is core to mindfulness, but I think so core to me personally in my experience in mindfulness is when I started practicing a little bit more. I started realizing these really simple things, just little things like walking out the door and feeling like sun on my face and how nice that is. Or I'd be driving, uh, let's say, across the Lionsgate Bridge because I live live in uh, live in North Vancouver and just noticing the sunset like when you're coming home at the end of the day. Or I think a lot of the time, and maybe this seems trivial, but these are the things that really were impacting me. Like I would, you know, transiting to school at the time when I first started and I would miss a bus and it would ruin my day. But you would never take a moment to appreciate or be grateful for the time that the bus driver actually stops and sees you running for it. And then I make it and then I'm time for everything in my day. And these are the type of things where I'd almost expect them to happen. And without being present and without sort of reflecting on what was going on right in front of me, which took a while to become part of my day to day, I, I didn't realize how many of these really little simple things that I was missing out on. That's wonderful. I feel like more more people need to really pay attention to those little things that happen in their lives and appreciate those small moments. Can you describe any other benefits related to your physical health in addition to kind of your mental and emotional health? Yeah, definitely. Sleeping was always really difficult for me. So I had a lot of trouble just calming my my mind down at the end of the day and not sort of reflecting on all the things that happened and worrying about things that were going to happen the next day or in the future. And so, you know, doing mindfulness practices in the evening, like I've, I've been able to sleep so much better than just the benefits you get the next day after getting a good rest. I mean, I'm sure everyone can relate to that. I think just being more physically in tune with my body, like doing things, you know, I'm sure Dr. Vo will, will mention, you know, a body, body scan being a core practice in mindfulness. And so going through the different levels of your body while you're doing your breathing for whatever period of time, I think it just gives you a more, uh, become more in touch, more in tune with things that are going on. So I can maybe notice something going wrong or notice when something's feeling a little bit better in a way that I just would be right over my head, I think, before I started practicing. So you do mention the body scan and you mentioned previously around some deep breathing. Are these some of your favorite kind of mindful activities or is there others that you kind of have built over time? So I would like... I would love to sit here and admit that I do about an hour of practice a day, but that is just not true at all. So I think what's been really useful for me, especially in times when I'm getting really busy, is to carve out five minutes. And I and I, I know you can either go on the Kelty site has um, some mindfulness recordings that you can go to. There's apps, websites where you can find a recording. And a lot of the places where they have some will have short, like five to 10 minute ones. And I think those have been the biggest resource for me is because making any space in your day is so much better. I'm personally way better off doing 
five minutes a day, six days a week, as opposed to one hour once a week. And then the other one has been mindful movement, which I've actually found to be really interesting. And I probably didn't catch on to until I've been practicing for a couple of years. But you know, sometimes you just don't feel like sitting still and you want to move a little bit. And it's just gentle stretching and moving. And sometimes that's a little bit easier to remain present than, you know, you're not in the mood to sit still or lie still for, for 20 minutes, 30 minutes at a time. Yeah. Like I find that um, it's a lot easier when you can be active potentially versus passive. So um, that's great that you're using both. Can you tell me a little bit more about your family and friends support and involvement with your mindfulness practice uh, in relation to your mental health journey? Definitely. Yeah. So my, my sister has always been, you know, my one of my best friends uh, and such an unbelievable support to me. And so she was the one who found this mindfulness course and I think she knew I needed it. And so she did the whole, she did the eight weeks with me. I was just lucky to have, you know, supportive people in her life. Uh, I don't think mindfulness ever clicked personally for her to the level that it clicked for me, but I mean, that happens. We all, everyone uh, is their own individual. And I think everyone finds their own individual wellness tools that work for them. What's been really interesting actually is um, so in the past, I would say two years, I've done a mindfulness course with both my mom and my dad. Transitioning to retirement is, is an incredibly tough period. And I think both of them found it to be a difficult period. And I had been practicing mindfulness for years at the time. So I suggested it and, and we found um, an online course to do uh, eight weeks, did it together. It's been a fun and, and interesting journey because we all sort of tried it at different times, but you see it now, you know, at the dinner table, or if we're spending some time together, the, even the language of being present or being grateful and, and compassion, I think are words you hear more now than you did before, which is pretty neat to see. That's awesome. It's a whole family of mindfulness. It's a family <laughs> affair. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time, Paul. We really appreciate you sharing your story and tips for our listeners. So thank you for coming. Oh, thank you for having me. It was wonderful. Thanks again to Paul for joining us today. You're listening to Where You Are, a podcast from BC Children's Kelty Mental Health Resource Center. To pick up on some key points that were discussed by Shar and Paul, we're joined by Dr. Zhang Vo. Dr. Vo is a pediatrician. He specializes in adolescent medicine at BC Children's Hospital. Along with Dr. Jake Locke, Dr. Vo co-developed a mindfulness training program called Mars A. This stands for Mindful Awareness and Resilient Skills for Adolescents. He's the founding director for the BC Children's Hospital Center for Mindfulness. So Dr. Vo, thanks so much for joining us here today. Before we get started with our questions, I was wondering if you could uh, lead our listeners in a mindfulness exercise just to get that acoustic experience. I'd love to uh, offer a brief practice called Breathe and Smile. I learned this from Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, and it really encapsulates the experience of mindfulness in just two words, breathing and smiling. I'm going to start by inviting the sound of this bell. And when we hear this bell, we don't have to do anything. We don't have to go anywhere. We can just bring our attention to the bell, perhaps considering it like a good friend calling us home to the here and now. And as the bell fades away, we can bring our awareness to our breathing. Just noticing what it feels like to breathe right now. Noticing what it feels like to be alive. We breathe all day long, but rarely do we pay attention to it. Rarely do we realize that we're alive right now. 
So in this moment, we don't have to do anything special. We don't have to control our breathing. We can just bring our awareness to our in-breath, breathing in, and our out-breath, breathing out. Perhaps saying silently to yourself, breathing in, I know that I am breathing in. Breathing out, I know that I'm breathing out. In, out. And just riding the waves of your breathing. And perhaps you can invite a gentle smile to your awareness of this breathing. Smiling to your breathing like you would smile to a friend if you saw them on the street. Doesn't mean that you have to force yourself to be happy or feel any different than you already feel. It's just inviting an attitude of friendliness and kindness to your experience of this moment. Breathing in, I know that I'm breathing in. Breathing out, I'm smiling. Breathing. Smiling. And I'll end with one sound of a bell. You can tune back into our event and also check in with yourself right now. Notice how you're feeling in your body, in your emotions, in your thoughts, and uh, being curious if anything has changed in the last few minutes. So how about for you? Has anything changed? It has. Yeah, yeah so I you, definitely feel that energy has changed in the room a little bit. Things seem a little more calm. I know we were both kind of rushing here from other commitments that we had. So things feel a little calmer now. And I've, not, I've actually never done that uh, that mindfulness exercise where you incorporate smiling into it. Mm. And I don't know, I felt it really kind of changed how I felt. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's one of really my favorites. Nice. That's lovely. Yeah, thank, thank you so much. Yeah, no, my pleasure. So I'm wondering if you could just kind of explain uh, mindfulness the way that you would uh, explain it to say patients or families or youth that you see. Great. Well, the first thing I would say is mindfulness can't actually really be defined in words. It's kind of like asking someone, what does chocolate taste like? Or what does music sound like? You have to really experience it. And so that's why I'm so glad we got to start with an experience of it. Mm -hmm. uh, that said, sometimes words and definitions can be helpful. And so usually I describe mindfulness as paying attention in a particular way, on purpose, in the present moment, and with unconditional love. And this is a modification of the very famous definition by John Kabat-Zinn, who brought mindfulness into Western medicine and healthcare. Um, and it's about being here uh, intentionally, um, being in the present moment, not being pulled away into the future about our worries about the future, not being pulled away into the past with our regrets about wishing things had been different. And then that attitude of unconditional love, which means bringing compassion and kindness to every moment. And we can aspire to that whether it's an easy moment when we feel good uh, or even in a difficult moment when we're experiencing pain uh, or suffering, we can also uh, invite that sense of kindness. And that's why we started with that smiling practice. That's, that's really the embodiment of unconditional love. That was something that uh, Paul Irving had mentioned earlier. The key benefit was just he felt that his mind was always somewhere else and it just really helped him stay in the present moments and really just appreciate the moment that he was in. Absolutely. I'm wondering if you could speak to some other kind of potential benefits of mindfulness for child and youth mental health. A lot of young people, when they're experiencing anxiety, they're worried about the future. Uh, and I was just working with uh, some youth and they were telling me that they worry about school. They worry about what university they're getting into. Uh, some of them said they're worried about whether they're going to have a place to live next year. Um, so they're very worried about what could happen in the future. And mindfulness is a way of uh, just being more present. And it doesn't mean that those worries 
go away. But if we if we get carried away by our worries and we get overwhelmed and overthink our worries about the future, we can't actually do anything about it right now. But if we can be fully present with what we're doing, whether it's going to school or eating or just sitting and breathing, that actually gives us strength and resilience so that way we can face the present moment, we can handle our problems, and we can actually create a better future for ourselves. And it's the same with the past. A lot of young people have depression, they have trauma, maybe they've experienced really difficult experiences in their lives. And those are all fine to have. Those thoughts are very natural and normal, but they can overwhelm us and cause severe depression if if we don't know how to manage them. Mindfulness just helps us to pull out of those uh, depressive thoughts about the past and live right here more in the present. So that way we can take care of our pain from the past. And I imagine that that would have some other beneficial side effects. So for example, Paul spoke about how when he started practicing, it also helped him sleep better at night. So he was able to be more focused and present the next day. Can you speak to some other benefits in terms of physical health, their cognitive abilities in addition to the mental health benefits? Yeah. One thing I would say is it just brings more joy. Mm-hmm. So when we're mindful and we're in the present moment, we can ex- uh, we can appreciate life more. We can experience gratitude for the things that we do have, rather than getting focused on what we don't have. And it, and it, it, I call it, it's a side effect in a way because you can't force yourself to be happy. Uh, and if I tell you to be happy right now, that's not going to be very useful. But if we can learn to cultivate our present moment awareness, we actually have a natural joy from noticing what's around us and knowing the conditions that we do have right now, even if we're in pain. Um, And then you mentioned another one, sleep. Um, So this is another paradox of mindfulness where if someone says you just need to relax and go to sleep, that often doesn't help so much. But if we can bring our awareness to the present moment without having, you know, a goal or an outcome, but just allowing ourselves to be just the way we are, uh, our bodies actually naturally will let go of a lot of the stress and tension that we carry and it will naturally allow us to fall asleep. Um, Same with pain, same with many other physical conditions. It's really amazing how just bringing kind awareness to our present moment has all kinds of effects on our bodies and our minds. And how does that kind of bringing that kind awareness impact gratitude and compassion? For me, gratitude and compassion are an inherent part of mindfulness. When I'm more in the present moment, I appreciate more what's happening. Uh, So one example of this I just had uh, this weekend Uh, It was on Saturday and I had the day off and I was sitting at a coffee shop in my neighborhood and I had my dog with me and I had a coffee and I had my breakfast and the wind was blowing and the sun was shining and I could see the cherry blossoms. And if I was not mindful, I wouldn't have noticed any of those things. I would have been caught up in my thoughts about what do I have to do later, all the things that are stressing me out in my life and my work. But because I was able to be mindful in that moment, I could really just enjoy the simplicity of that moment and feel a lot of gratitude for the sunshine, for my breakfast, uh, for having my dog with me, for the cherry blossoms. So attention, uh, kind attention, I think naturally brings gratitude. Um, And then you also asked about compassion. And for me, compassion is also an inherent part of mindfulness. That's why I use the word unconditional love in my definition of mindfulness. If we pay attention to the present moment and we're not feeling so good, we're in pain, we're experiencing anxiety, we're experiencing depression, uh, and that's all we have, just that awareness of the pain, anxiety, or depression, uh, it's actually not going to help that much. We need to bring kindness and compassion, especially self-compassion, love for ourselves just because we're human. And that's what allows the power of mindfulness of present moment attention to actually be healing to help us to handle those difficulties. 
Right. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great point. And I think sometimes people think about it as compassion towards others. But as mm-hmm. you're saying, just as important as compassion towards yourself. Compassion has to start with ourselves. If mm-hmm. we don't know how to take care of ourselves, we actually don't know how to help anyone else. And that's true for doctors. It's true for parents. Uh, it's true for anyone who cares about uh, young people. So for families or parents or youth who are thinking about trying mindfulness for the first time, are there any kind of special considerations that they might need to be aware of or to think about? Yeah, I think anyone can try mindfulness. One thing I would say is it doesn't have to be some big mystical formal thing. Mindfulness can be very simple. It can be something that you do in your everyday life. And it can be just as simple as stopping what you're doing and taking three mindful breaths before you go to the next activity. That's the first thing I would say is just keep it simple. Uh, The second thing I would say is uh, keep it uh, light and don't take it too seriously. Just notice what's happening right now without any type of expectation, without trying to accomplish something, without trying to achieve something, because the more we're trying to accomplish or achieve something, actually the harder it is to be in the present moment just as we are. Uh, There's all kinds of resources out there that can help people get started with mindfulness as well. Uh, But the main thing is come in with an open mind. Just treat it as an experiment and see what happens without any kind of expectation, either positive or negative. That can be difficult, I would imagine, to go into that without expectations about what might come of it. Would you have any advice for folks who might be starting and feeling a bit frustrated because they're not seeing the results that they were hoping to see? Yeah, that's really difficult. We're all very goal-oriented and we want to achieve results. Mindfulness is different though. Mindfulness, there's a real paradox with mindfulness where the more we strive to achieve results, actually the more we push it away. So one teenager that I worked with gave this really beautiful analogy uh, or way of understanding it. Uh, She was in our mindfulness class uh, last year and she said, I think that mindfulness is kind of like trying to get a cat to come to you. A cat that's like hiding under the car and you want to say hi to the cat, but the cat's scared. How do you get the cat to come to you? You can't go after it. You just have to sit down next to the cat, breathe, be yourself and let the cat come to you. And mindfulness is a lot like that. I love that analogy. Thanks. That one was going to stick with me for sure. So we talked a bit about the benefits for um, children and youth for practicing mindfulness. Um, But what about for those kind of busy parents that are out there? Well, I think there's huge benefits for parents, first of all, for their own self-care. We talked about how you can't be compassionate towards someone else unless you know how to be compassionate towards yourself. So parents need and deserve to take care of themselves. It's not a luxury It's not selfish. In fact, it's necessary for them to be able to handle the stress of being a parent and the stress of being a human being. So if they're not able to do that, then they're not going to be able to be uh, the parents that they want to be and love their children the way that they want to love their children. And second of all, it's really helpful for them to be able to be present for their children and not just being there physically, but being there with their whole minds and bodies. That's what children need the most. And you could call that love being fully present with another person. So it could be reading to your child. It could be driving your child to school or to soccer practice. Um, And the most important and the most difficult things are being with your child when they're in pain, when they're angry, when they're upset, when they're scared. How can we really be present with them? How can we allow them to be just as they are? And how can we hold that distress uh, and help them to hold that distress without having to react to it, without having to fix it, uh, without telling them what to do? Uh, More than any of those things, uh, the children just need us to be there for them. 
Could you give an example of what that might look like for a parent whose child might be angry or upset, how they can kind of hold that space and and be there for them? Yeah, I think breathing is usually the first thing. That's the first thing that I certainly do when I'm in a difficult situation. And that's what I would recommend to parents. Just take a few breaths before you say something. Because most of us, when we get angry, we say things that actually don't help the situation. We go into the stress mode or fight flight or freeze mode. And we're actually hardwired to do that as human beings. So there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes it's not the most helpful thing we can do. Just take a few breaths and then acknowledge what's happening. My child is angry right now. Um, So first of all, acknowledging that to yourself, and then you can acknowledge it to the child. So just naming and being aware of that feeling that they're having and and allowing it to be there. That's what mindfulness is. Being aware of what's happening right now and embracing it and holding it with love. So they could say something like, I know you're angry right now. I can see the anger. Um, I know that you're experiencing that and it's okay. I'm here for you. I'm not going to go anywhere. I love you no matter what. And we can be here with the anger together. So that's saying your mindfulness practice basically out loud. So just thinking about kind of, we, we spoke a, about a few of these, but just kind of some um, quick things that parents can do at home to introduce practicing mindfulness on a regular basis. So kind of for younger kids as well as for teens. The most important thing that a parent can do if they want to introduce mindfulness to their child is to practice mindfulness themselves. Uh, teenagers have a really good uh, hypocrisy meter. They know when adults are telling them to do things that the adults themselves are not doing. Uh, and then the second thing would, would really depend on the age of the child uh, in terms of, you know, inviting the child to join you in your mindfulness practice. So for younger children, it wouldn't necessarily be a meditation, uh, closing your eyes, taking a few minutes to breathe. It might just be uh, being in nature uh, or even just being in your backyard and just noticing what's happening out there. So noticing the trees, noticing the sunshine, noticing the birds, and just being really present with what's happening or inside, noticing your food, uh, noticing uh, what it feels like to hold hands, things like that. Uh, And then with teenagers, they're more developmentally able to start doing short meditations. Uh, So one very simple one that you could uh, teach uh, and practice uh, together is called the STOP meditation. Uh, And we borrowed this from mindfulness-based stress reduction, where we uh, stop. The first S stands for stop. Stop what you're doing, getting out of autopilot mode. And then the T stands for taking three mindful breaths and just breathing. The O stands for observing, so just checking in with what's happening inside your body, in your emotions, as well as in the situation, uh, but without any judgment. And then the P is for proceeding. Okay, how can we handle the situation or how can we continue our day? Uh, But instead of being on autopilot, bringing some mindful awareness to what we're doing. And that's a very simple one that families and kids can do together. We were recently reading an article and it was talking about how uh, for some children and youth, if they kind of over-rely on mindfulness at the expense of, say, like coming up with problem-solving strategies to tackle a problem, um, they might start to, to rely on it a bit too much. I always tell people that mindfulness is a supplement, but it's not a replacement for other strategies, other types of treatments. And that can include medication sometimes as well. So mindfulness doesn't replace those other things. Uh, And also mindfulness doesn't really tell you what to do, but it does allow us to tap into the wisest part of ourselves, our inner wisdom, our inner compassion, our inner values, so that way we can make better decisions. 
But action is also important. And sometimes we call this engaged mindfulness. It's bringing mindfulness into our lives, bringing in mindfulness into our relationships, bringing mindfulness into the world. Uh, some people now are talking about it as like the yin and yang of mindfulness. So traditionally, the yin of mindfulness is, you know, stillness, is openness, is receptivity. But the yang of mindfulness is is compassionate action, is taking action in the world, in our lives, in our families, in our schools, in our communities, uh, so that way we can uh, make the world a better place, make the world a healthier place for ourselves as well as other people. Well, thank you very much for coming here today and taking the time to speak with us. Okay, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks again to Dr. Vo and Paul Irving for joining us today. You can visit keltymentalhealth.ca for resources on mindfulness, including a number of mindfulness audio recordings by Dr. Vo. This has been episode two of Where You Are, all about exploring mindfulness. If you have any questions or comments, email us at keltucenter at cw.bc.ca. Where You Are is a free educational podcast. For each month's episode, go to keltymentalhealth.ca slash podcast and hit subscribe. Catch us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or anywhere else that you listen to podcasts. We hope you'll make us a go-to resource to promote your family's mental health and wellness from where you are to where you want to be. Thanks for joining us.